the Oxfordshire News Podcast from Jack FM, digging deeper into the stories that matter to Oxfordshire. Hi, it's Joe from the news team at Jack. And as clubs are shut, activities are put on hold, meeting friends for a catch-up is pretty much banned. And for some people, this year has been even more difficult as they've been isolated and have had to battle with loneliness. It has been particularly tough for people in care homes. Some, including my lovely Nan, haven't had any visitors now for nine months. But it's not just elderly people or people who live on their own that experience loneliness, as we'll explore a little in this podcast. As one interviewee said to me, you can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. First, of course, some older people have spent days without speaking to anyone. So we're going to look at the help a local home care company is offering them. The owner of Home Instead Senior Care in North Oxfordshire says the emotional support they give clients is far more vital than the practical things they help them with, like cooking or cleaning. Graham Holton told me that they often need reminding that people in the community do think about them. We had a lady for a long time who was with us uh, who had really poor eyesight. And when we started, there were some tasks around her bathroom routine and her breakfast and her medication. But it turns out really quickly what she wanted was some help to do the crossword every day. She was sharp as a tack, had done the telegraph crossword every day, but just couldn't see. So we ended up staying a little bit longer and making another pot of tea and sitting in the living room and doing her crossword. And that was the start to the day that she'd had for decades. But without that support, wasn't able to do it. Mm. And I think it was just fun for everybody and added something. What kind of things do some of them sort of say in terms of how they feel about spending a lot of time alone at home? The emotional consequences of ageing is something we spend a good deal of time thinking about. And of course, with with COVID uh, around, it exacerbates a lot of the concerns people have. One of the things that that will stay with me when my home instead time ends is the number of people I meet that have just lost a partner after they've been together for longer than I've been alive. Mm. The consequences of that are really far-reaching for people and exacerbates the feelings of loneliness and isolation that lots of people have. So we just do what we can to try and add something and, uh, and make people feel as if life is worth living. Do they talk about it, do you find? Especially when they've lost someone, will they open up? Some people uh, are very vocal about it and also very vocal about their own condition and their own mortality sometimes. Uh, and if people are wanting to express themselves and talk about that, that's something we encourage. We want people to express themselves and be free to talk about how they feel. Um, other people um, are much more hands in pockets about these things, uh, reserved. Some people are fearful. Some people skirt around how they feel a little bit because they don't, it kind of feels sometimes they don't want to let a cat out of a bag. Um, so some people are cautious. Everybody's different uh, and we just try and adjust what we do to, to meet the needs of the person we're with. The whole feeling of loneliness that many of us have experienced, you know, that goes alongside this feeling of nobody cares. I'm on my own. Uh, nobody thinks about me. Uh, so this is just a little thing we try to do to say that isn't the case. Your community does think about you and does care. Now we're going to hear from a couple of the residents, Jim and Audrey, two people who Home Instead Senior Care supports. I'm still alive. <laughs> it's a Stanley James Gale. My uh, age is uh, 91, I think, 91, 92, I think. 
My name is Audrey Howlett, so I'm 83. I was born in Southampton. My husband was a teacher, so we moved around quite a lot, but we've been here 47 years. He was a very kind man, he looked after me when I was unwell. Um, we were quite involved in several things in Bloxham. We belonged to the National Trust, the local branch, so we used to go out with them quite a lot. Because I've had diabetes for 56 years, he, was, he always looked after me. He knew if I was having a low blood sugar and, you know, he was always there for me. I've, I've managed by myself for, for about five years. But then I had to give in because I just, just couldn't do things. I'm registered as blind. I can still see things, but I can't see things, if you see what I mean. I can't describe what they are. I can't see colours, I can't see. It's, it's a bit annoying sometimes, but life, life carries on. You accept it. Nothing I can do about it. It's not going to get better. Other personalities have had the same, same condition as myself. There's Judy, Judy Dench, for instance. She has this macular de de degeneration. Well, it's pretty miserable for all of us, isn't it? I think we're all very fed up with it, but I'm being well looked after. I have three carers a day. They help me shower in the morning and cook my lunch for me. So I've never worried about being on my own because my son's in Banbury. And I've, over the years, one year I go to him and so I haven't been in that situation. And we had um, a group of people in the village organised a Christmas Day lunch and they held it in the Baptist church in Bloxham. So there were a lot of people there who lived alone and would have been lonely, but we had a lovely time. I think my daughter Sarah would come here and cook a Christmas lunch for me, so I don't think I'll be on my own. I'm quite prepared just to sit here by myself. See, I'm 1992. It's the sort of thing that you put up with life as it is. Don't worry about it. I've, I've had a good life and has had a good marriage, 64 years, and, and it was, she, she was a much, much better person than I was. The Latvian girl. I met her when I was a patient in hospital. She was a nurse there. And I've, I've managed by myself for, for about five years, but then I had to give in because I just, just couldn't do things. My carers come at eight o'clock, wash me, make sure that I'm, I'm tidy, and then I, I have my breakfast, sit down at, they, they go at 10 o'clock. Sometimes I just sit and listen to the, to the radio. As long as I've got good music there, I'm quite happy because I love music. And I'm very, very happy with what I get and very, very appreciative of all the carers that come in. I can say to each and every one of them, they're, they're a gem and I love them all. <laughs> Jim and Audrey there, who both live alone and wanted to speak to us a bit about how important the home care they receive is. Home Instead, by the way, has asked people to donate gifts for them to give to elderly residents this Christmas. There's a festive trolley that you can drop the treats into at Bista Tesco. It's there until Friday the 11th of December. 
Meanwhile, there's been a big step forward for families with relatives in care homes in England. From this week, they can be reunited, providing visitors test negative for COVID-19, of course. The Health Secretary also revealed rollout will start next week of the Pfizer jab, which has now been approved. And 85-year-old Joy Pomfret is a resident at Spencer Court Care Home in Woodstock and is looking forward to getting the vaccine soon. Well, I worked in the museum in Woodstock and I was um, the, the sort of manager of everything that wasn't the professionals, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I ran the bookshop and the cafe. As a person, I'm quite lucky because I spend my life reading. I love reading. So some of my family live quite close. And so we're allowed to meet occasionally um, out in the shed in the garden um, for half an hour or or even an hour sometimes. When you say shed in the garden, I've got an image of a really sort of tiny little wooden shed. I'm I'm guessing it's a little bit nicer than probably what's in my garden at the moment. (laughs) Yes, it probably is. I mean, I'd like to call it a gazebo, but I don't think it is. It's, it's, um, it's, it's wooden, certainly, and it's got a roof on it, and it's got it's half um, enclosed, so the, the, the sort of bottom half is enclosed halfway up to kind of waist height, and then it's open, and then it's got a roof on it. And how's that been for you? Because obviously with everything going on, have you been nervous to see them, or have you actually just been really looking forward to it? I've been, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it because... They live quite a long way away, so it's quite an effort for them to come here. And so it's um, quite a relief to see them. We used to do lots of things, not quite so much now, but um, we play bowls sometimes. I go and join playing bowls. It's a bit of an effort for them because they have to keep wiping all the balls on our hands with disinfectant. (laughs) (laughs) And that's an indoor bowl thing. But, you know, some of the things, we used to get the school children in, the, you know, from the primary school, but obviously we can't have those now. And, um, but the staff are so, they're so kind and so helpful that they come and talk to us in between times when they're rushing around doing other things. <laughs> are you looking forward to being able to maybe get a hug off a family member as well? That would be very lovely, yes. <laughs> For Christmas? Is it too early, really, to kind of consider what you'll be doing or do you know what the care home is doing for you just to sort of celebrate? We haven't actually talked about Christmas yet, but, I mean, as a, as me, I would stay here anyway because it's, you know, too difficult for me to go to my son's homes. We may see them on Christmas Day and we may not. It just depends. I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite philosophical about it. <laughs> they always make a very happy time here. You know, we, we have a... A wonderful Christmas lunch and singing and things. It's, you know, we'll join in. My name is Anna Odeyemi and I'm a manager. The biggest challenge would be to allowing our residents to see their loved ones safely in our care homes. Um, but um, we have managed quite successfully. We've got a couple of lovely stories where residents were able to see their loved ones in the garden and um, and also we've purchased two tablets and two iPads um, to enable the Zoom and Skype meetings. So Joy was obviously telling me about the, she calls it the shed in the garden, where she can meet her <laughs> family, um, which is lovely because I know some care homes haven't been able to kind of provide that service. So it means that for your guys, for the, for the people that can still get outside, because I know that's not everyone, is it? They can still see family. Yes, we've got, I would say... Um, 
99.9% of our residents are still able to access the garden um, using the wheelchair frame or without uh, without an aid. We've our shed that um, Joy is talking about is actually, as she explained, a wooden, wooden gazebo with quite generous space uh, inside that um, we've set up as a designated meeting place with the um, big two-meter table um, that would separate um, two people to allow the social distancing as well. And um, we are following a strict cleaning protocols after each visit. And also we've got a booking in place to enable that time between a um, visit. Good. And how important is it to you that all of your residents there can stay connected with their families and, and for them in terms of their mental well-being as well? Oh, it is extremely important. I would say that it's it's the main part of the day when their loved ones are coming in and you can see the smile on their faces after the visit. And how important is it as well that you can have some sort of vaccinations secured as quickly as possible for residents especially that maybe have been feeling very lonely recently and over the course of the pandemic? Well, I think this is the only one thing that's going to make us um, make our lives a little bit better and back to normal, isn't it? So it is extremely important that as many people as possible will take the vaccination and to keep everybody else safe. I think that everybody at the moment, not only residents, even us are suffering with the loneliness. And we've got a designated activity coordinator that do visit everybody. And as as Joy say, the carers will stop to have a chat, to share something in the newspaper or to um, join for a game. What we need is something that will bring us all together again, which I think that vaccine is going to be the thing that will most likely, let's hope so, work. That was Anna Odiemi you heard at the end there, the care home manager at Spencer Courts in Woodstock. So older people have been at particular risk, of course, both of contracting coronavirus itself and of increased isolation and loneliness as a result of the lockdown. Many have never used the internet, so they're not able to video chat with friends or family. You're going to hear now from Dennis Nizoyle, who's a pastor in Bicester and is involved in many local groups of elderly people. I asked him about some of the people he speaks to regularly and how they're coping with being alone and how, importantly, people like you and me can help. There are some that, that don't have any relatives at all. So, I mean, the only church, only family that they have is church family. I have a lady in our church that I have a power of attorney. She has nobody else. And so we visit her quite a lot. Desperately lonely person, you know, doesn't get to see people for, uh, you know, days on end, really. You know, but also widows, you know, visiting homes of, of people who are widowed. A man whose wife had passed away a few years ago, and uh, he is losing weight, you know, just lost the, the ability to eat. Uh, he's in hospital now with uh, severe back pain, you know, so desperate plight for people who live on their own, even outside of, of care homes. I mean, in the care homes, there's many uh, people who suffer dementia, you know, and we go in at Christmas time and uh, do some parties, and it's amazing when the music starts, how they come alive, like a song that they would sing when they were a child. Uh, I just have a lot of praise for these homes that treat people with dignity, even though there's dementia, uh, you know, and uh, they have value still. There's still somebody in there. Unfortunately, you know, it does happen in a lot of families that somebody is put in a care home and, and, and forgotten about, you know. 
and that's where we have to take up the slack. You know, I think what we need are, are people who are sensitive to these seniors because they won't volunteer their need. Uh, they're from that generation that has a stiff upper lip and, you know, mm -hmm. and they won't tell you how much they're suffering, but they are suffering. And for those who have ears to hear, that suffering is quite deafening, really. You know, so we need more people to get involved, you know, on a voluntary basis in, in all these things. And God willing, at Christmas time, uh, we'll be able to show some of that love. I think this is a, a desperate time for a lot of people. Love is all we need. The Oxfordshire News Podcast from Jack FM. Hello, Samaritans. Can I help you? Can I talk to someone, please? Yes, yes, of course. Would you like to talk to me? Yes, um, I've never phoned Samaritans before. If you're feeling lonely in the run-up to Christmas, even on Christmas Day, you can reach out to the Oxford Samaritans over the phone or on email 24-7 for emotional support and know you're not alone. The new research from the charity shows that almost 30% of their volunteers have already received calls from people who are feeling concerned about their well-being over the festive period. Now, Jack FM's senior journalist, Emma Kerwin, has been finding out what training the Oxford Samaritans receive in order to handle those calls. Our local branch had planned to train up to 200 people by 2022. It's not looking possible, of course, due to coronavirus. Matt's the director at Oxford Samaritans and says the plan now is to host eight online sessions next year and train up to 36 volunteers. Our face-to-face -face training got disrupted by lockdown and the rule of six. You know, we usually like to train about, you know, 10 to 12 people uh, to become Samaritans. And of course, that's not been possible. Um, fortunately, this year, we've decided uh, to, to take our training online uh, and we've run some training with uh, eight vo new volunteers. And that's very much a pilot at the moment. And then we're hoping to extend that out uh, to uh, slightly larger groups next year. And have you adapted your training in response to the pandemic to support your volunteers? Even before the pandemic, there was a, a greater focus on online sessions and online training that new volunteers can do between their training sessions. Um, and we've continued that uh, this time around. Of course, we've taken our training online um, in order for people to sort of connect and, and, and you know, follow up. I think what it's, need, you know, what it's meant for us is that it needs... Uh, those new volunteers need extra support from the training team who are excellent, um, you know, and that can be by telephone calls, you know, between the classes, as well as uh, mentored support. And we're going to have to really look after people when they become new volunteers listening with us uh, to make sure that they feel settled and at home at Oxford Samaritans. You know, that's what we want to do. Emma also met with Oxford Samaritans volunteers Christine and Ruth virtually for one of their online training sessions. They gave an example of a phone call and discussed what they did and why. He was the light of my life and now he's gone. There's nothing to live for. What is it you miss most about Bob? <laughs> it's in the mornings. <laughs> he used to rush to the porch where his lead is kept and wag his tail in excitement. Do you think I should just get rid of his lead? It sounds as though he enjoyed the walks as much as you did. Do you think it's time to get rid of the lead? No, no, not yet. 
He did enjoy his walks. He was my best friend. How accurate was that kind of call? We always say don't don't assume anything in a call. We don't assume because um, we don't know. We have to wait to to find out. So yes, that is that's a, a, the sort of call that we would take. The example I would give is of a caller who calls in and and presents as being recently bereaved, and then they'll go on to say that actually they feel relieved that their partner has gone because their partner had been abusive to them. And if we'd assumed that it was, you know, oh, you must feel really sad about that, um, it would have been the wrong response. I don't think that I realised that it would be like that. I think if, for example, a friend came to me um, and said, I've got a problem, and then my response probably would just be saying like, oh, you must be so upset. I mean, in real life, when, you know, when you talk to a friend, you would, you know, react very differently. But in this situation, the caller has chosen to phone the Samaritans and very often they want to talk to somebody that they don't know, who's not going to judge them, um, who's not going to give them advice. That's another key part of what we do um, or what we don't do. We don't offer advice. And in this role play, you might have noticed that the caller said, do you think I should get rid of the lead? And um, the Samaritan sort of deflected that a bit and said, well, do you think you should? Because we try not to give advice or to tell people what to do. Um, It's a very important um, principle for us, isn't it, Christine, about not giving advice? we focus on the feelings I mean at the end of the day you know it's a and then we were saying it's not like a conversation with a with a friend um insofar as the the Samaritan will not put themselves out there at all you know it's all about the caller so it doesn't matter what the Samaritan thinks about something it doesn't matter what they feel you know sometimes you will be affected by a call but as much as possible your feelings have to stay outside because that's one of the reasons why people would talk to us rather than friends or their family you know if somebody what is feeling suicidal for example this is not something that it is easy to discuss with your friends and families because you're going to be worried about how they're going to feel how upset they're going to be Christine, you did ask the caller, um, do you feel suicidal? And the caller said, no. What would you have said if the caller had said, actually, yes, I am feeling suicidal? We, we would have explored that, you know, that, that feeling a lot more. Because if people are feeling suicidal, you know, they're not, it's not something that's popping into their head just when they're talking to you. Typically, it will be something that has been going round and round in their heads for a long, long time and is possibly threatening to overwhelm them. And actually being able to verbalize these feelings and sometimes, you know, describe all the thoughts that go with that might be a way to actually make, make it bearable, you know, make those feelings bearable. Um, so yeah, we would we would not shy from discussing, you know, everything to do with those feelings if we establish that they are actually present. Yeah, that was Christine and Ruth, who are long-standing volunteers at the Oxford Samaritans, speaking to our journalist Emma about the training that volunteers go through. 
They're just two of the call handlers you can talk to over Christmas if you're feeling distressed. And the number, if you need it, is 116113. Something a little different now and an amazing project that I came across whilst putting this podcast together, which is home sharing. Hannah Louise Toomey's a trainee occupational therapist at Oxford Brooks and is currently waiting to be matched through Age UK's Home Share Oxford scheme. It's basically where older people who live in Oxfordshire and are in need of help or companionship at home are matched with another person who can lend a hand and needs affordable accommodation. 32-year-old Hannah says it's exactly what she needs. With COVID and with lockdown and with not living with any of my uni friends and my uni friends all living together, I'm quite lonely as well. So it's not just older people that get lonely. Um, I thought, you know, I... I'd really appreciate the company as well and that sort of interaction during the day and feeling, I guess, like I was moving but with more of a purpose. And for me, it's in my nature to be quite a giving person and not think enough about myself. So I thought, well, this is a really good way of kind of ticking two separate boxes for a good kind of overall well-being, both physically and mentally, as well as that. I mean, students, we are not the wealthiest of people and finding accommodation is quite hard. And I am fortunate in that I had previously planned to save and maybe put a deposit down on my own place. But when I looked into HomeShare, I, I did see the costs involved and I thought, well, actually, this is a really sort of economical way of helping myself financially and also sort of helping the the system, the healthcare system in terms of taking pressure off the system and reducing risk of older people at home perhaps having falls and, and being left on the floor and then having admissions into nursing homes early. Lockdown and COVID, the pandemic, I think it's really shed so much light onto just how you know, the school kids, nursery children, can be in a classroom full of their friends and yet be so lonely because we have got so many restrictions on us right now. I have got friends and my sister, she lives a couple of streets away, I've got friends in the area, I've got friends right next door to me, but I can't socialise with them anymore. And you know, they, they're great at having their own sort of within their household, their own dinner parties or whatever, you know, just I can't be a part of that. And that feeling lonely at the age of 32 is really eye opening and it helps me to really <laughs> sympathize, I guess, with what older people are going through. But it's really dangerous to let yourself just be lonely. Hannah, for you then, the idea of sharing your space with someone quite a bit mm. older than you, the, the age and the sort of generational difference doesn't worry you? No, um, actually a lot of people say that I'm quite old before my time. Um, I really enjoy getting the paper every day and that's, you know, my sort of time to rest is like reading the paper and having cups of coffee, doing the crossword, um, Sudoku, you sound like um, the perfect match for any older <laughs> resident, to be honest. Well, I also am really very passionate about active ageing. And it's something that at uni we've covered fairly recently. You know, the World 
health organization have got all of these policies and, and legislation about helping and um you know just enabling all the people so anyone really over the age of 65 to actively age so helping them to find meaning, meaningful occupations things that they are passionate about reawakening interests and hobbies and not just say you know what yeah you're old and you can't do very much so here's a cup of hot chocolate and here's the paper i'm very much about you know, let's go to the theatre or what would you like to do? What can I help you to do and to engage in? And it's very difficult with COVID at the moment because nothing is really open. But that won't stop me. There's so much that can be done. I think what you're sort of offering to do with this is amazing, to be honest. And I think you're doing something that a lot of us couldn't or don't think we could. Um, mm, but you've not, well, you've not found a match just yet, have you? No, I haven't. And, and there have definitely been potential people. There's been a few. Um, and for one reason or another, they it's not just them that's not quite right. It's you've got to look at the whole situation. It's about looking at what you can offer from my point of view and thinking, how much can this person get from me? Am I the right person for them? Are the circumstances, the living arrangements, are they right? So, you know, I'll be working hopefully in the medical sort of industry. And, you know, I, I need to think, well, you know, safety-wise, a self-contained flat within the house would be safer so I can go in, I can scrub myself clean, I can disinfect, and then I can... I know that I'm safe to go and see them. So I think, yeah, it just totally depends on your individual circumstances, your personality, and meeting people is always great fun as well. Hannah-Louise Toomey there, a Brooks student looking for a little bit of company from an older resident. And if you want to find out more and maybe find your own match, you can apply at homeshareoxford.org.uk. One big thing that can help tackle loneliness or isolation is football. Oxford United is just one of a number of clubs bringing people together through sport, even while supporters haven't been able to go and watch live matches. The club charity Oxford United in the Community has been working on helping to reduce loneliness among the older generation through its Manor Club Extra project with online videos and plenty of special guests. I caught up with lead coach Alex Blaine, who's running the project. had James Constable on, obviously uh, club legend, uh, would have been record record goal scorer, one one goal short of that for the club. Uh, we've had Les Robinson, who is also a man, man club legend, club captain, and and both James and Les are community patrons as well for us. And then we had uh, Peter Rhodes Brown and Malcolm Elias, who um, both started the community trust over 30 years ago. So it was great to connect that. And obviously, for a lot of people, especially Malcolm, they hadn't heard from him for quite a while because it was quite a long time since he's left the club. And then what we've done is actually now introduced like a friendly phone service um, and also a virtual coffee morning that we do three times a week. We found that the calls have generally been so far, you know, with supporters, and we'll talk about the game that's happened at the weekend, um, what they think about the next game, who, who they might put in the team. All the calls that we're doing are specifically for over 70s, and same for the virtual coffee morning. So 
I bet it works both ways in a way because how lovely is it sometimes listening to the stories of like the older generation? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, and I think that's the thing that we forget sometimes is that actually in the older generation, you know, sometimes we, we look at them about helping them and it's like actually they might still be able to help us because their life experiences and stuff that they've done, jobs they've done, so fascinating. We can still learn so much from them and actually sitting back sometimes and allowing, giving them a platform to talk, I think it's just so much more powerful. With what's going on at the moment with the restrictions and the fact that people haven't been able to, football fans especially obviously haven't been able to go and watch sport, I imagine for some people that maybe do live alone, going to watch a live game every week is quite a big part of their social calendar, I suppose. So do you think potentially with restrictions at the moment, it has been more difficult for anyone who has sort of suffered with loneliness? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, and having spoken to different people, um, you know, I know like, like myself, you know, I'm missing not going to the games, but having spoke to um, some of the other people that live on their own uh, within Oxfordshire, and not, not even, and some that even perhaps live with a partner, they, their Saturday, you know, release for the week is to go, go to the football and they've got friends that they meet there and they know them at the football and they might not necessarily be out in touch with them outside so they've not actually been able to see them since back in sort of um, early March time so obviously that's like a set of friends that they've not had any contact with and that and so for them going to the games is obviously vitally important and everything because it's just such a social thing it's so much more than just 90 minutes of a match having a drink, having a chat, putting the world to rights. There's lots of talk at the moment, isn't there, about starting to get some fans and supporters back in. So I'm guessing you're thinking like that couldn't come soon enough. Oh, definitely, yeah. That was good to see um, that, you know, the plans have started to roll out probably earlier than we thought because we were looking that, you know, maybe it might be New Year. We were at one point wondered whether it'd be at any point this season we'd have anyone in. So to actually have them rolling out in December, you know, potentially you could get 2,000 fans inside the ground. It's a good starting base. We, we know that not everyone's going to be able to get in and obviously people that, you know, might still be in high risk category might not be able to go. So, but, you know, just, just to start to get people back in just gives a little bit of normality and, you know, give people something back in their lives that they've not had for quite a few months now. If you know someone who would like a friendly chat on the phone with Alex or his colleagues, you can nominate them through the Oxford United in the community Let's Tackle Loneliness Together contact form. Now, working closely with the charity is Active Oxfordshire, where Lucy Tappin is the Active Communities Manager. We spoke a little about the benefits of getting out and getting moving, not just on your physical health. It can prevent depression by up to 30%. I think initially, you know, the, everyone got told, you know, go out for your daily walk, get active, and people were quite motivated, but as time's gone on, you know, that motivation decreases, and especially when you're isolated and, and maybe alone, that motivation, maybe you struggle to continue with that, and then, you know, being at home, eating a bit more maybe, sitting down a little bit more, watching telly, listening to the radio. But projects like this, where people are, are contacted, they have engagement, they have... You know, support can only be a positive thing that they can increase their activity levels and, and know the importance of that. We're heading into winter, it's getting cold, can't be bothered, whatever it is. How would you kind of encourage them to sort of get out and get moving and benefit their mental health? I, I think everyone knows it's hard, but making that first step is so important, whether it's, you know, doing some stretches while putting the kettle on, uh, maybe having a look, you know, getting yourself out there, feeling a little bit more inspired, putting yourself out there. If you're able to get on the internet, there's loads of online sessions for all abilities. 
there's sessions there for wheelchair users, there's dementia-friendly sessions, there's, there's pretty much a session for everyone. And I know personally when I think about loneliness, I think my mind goes straight to older people that live alone. But would you say actually opposite end of the spectrum, maybe young people, students that you speak to deal with and suffer with loneliness? Yeah, interestingly, we talk about isolation and loneliness together, but they're actually very different things. So isolation is being separated physically from whether it's family, whether it's communications, whether it's um, logistical, you know, where you live. But loneliness is a feeling, it's subjective, it's how you're feeling. And you can feel lonely amongst lots of people, you know, and again, you can feel isolated and, and be amongst lots of people. So I think there was a study done where younger people, I think it was between 21 and 30, were actually proven to be more lonely than older people. Um, and a lot of those were in big groups, they were with other people, but it was a perception they were feeling because they weren't engaged in the community, they didn't have a purpose. And do you think younger people are more or less likely to engage with projects like this or services like yours? The services and the offers should be and are very different. A lot of things are online now for a lot of younger people and I think that suits some people, um, but it doesn't suit everyone. And there was a big issue with you know, obviously the Manor Club Extra going online, you know, and older people not being able to access that. But there's been a lot of work done by lots of different organisations, including AGK Oxfordshire, about supporting older people to get online. Younger people can get online, but if you're not inclined and not motivated to search and to look for these things or don't know they exist, you're not necessarily going to engage with it. For you, how do we tackle or overcome isolation or loneliness? I think it's about um, hope supporting people to be fulfilled in their life. Um, I think if you have a purpose and you feel like you're contributing and supporting others and yourself, you're going to be happier, um, but it's finding, finding those things. And I think people have to have more resilience. For older people, a lot of society is about being about caring. You know, oh, you don't need to do your shopping. Let me take care of that. Or, you know, you sit down, you don't let me do that. And that's not empowering. These older people have so much experience, so much knowledge, and they want to feel like they're contributing to society. You know, having that motivation and the hope now of a vaccine and that life will change and we can build back better is a positive thing for us all. And sticking with the theme of getting outdoors, something we've covered in the news here at Jack before, which ties in nicely with our theme of tackling loneliness, is social prescribing. So it's something which Oxford Uni's gardens, libraries and museums team has been doing a lot of work on during the first and second lockdown. It's sort of museums on prescription type thing for people who might be suffering with loneliness or any kind of mental health issue and doesn't need medical help. So Lucy Shaw is head of programmes and partnerships there. We've got a, a project that's underway now, and that's really looking at how we can improve older people's well-being through COVID-19 using social prescribing and using our assets. Now, obviously, the big issue for us at the moment is although we were able to open our venues between um, August and early October, we then had to close them all again in the current lockdown. Um, but all through lockdown one and also through lockdown two, we have been um, maintaining our contact with the communities that we work with. 
So we have, within our community engagement team at GLAM, Gardens, Libraries and Museums, we have a dedicated community engagement officer who focuses on working with our older visitors and our older um, supporters and communities. And she works really closely with colleagues in other museum services, such as the Museum of Oxford, Banbury Museum Trust, and also the Oxfordshire County Museum Service. And they have come together and they actually did some really interesting um, mapping research in August. They reached out to all of the um, community organisations that support older people in Oxford and Oxfordshire to ask them you know, what, what we can do as cultural organisations to, to provide that connection, that content, something different. Um, and we weren't sure whether people would want it, wanted to meet virtually and, and do the kind of virtual versions of work that we would normally do face-to-face, -face, such as reminiscent sessions, um, fact-based sessions, arts and crafts groups, that sort of thing that um, COVID-19 had made really difficult. You know, could we translate that to the virtual world? And we've been able to do a bit of that, um, but we connected with a, a lot of organisations, community-led grassroots stuff too, um, all doing really fantastic work. We had phone calls with independent older people as well to, to try and work out how we could support them. And ultimately, groups want to be able to come back and visit our venues again. But just having that connectivity with us so that we could send out packs of information um, or uh, virtual activities through videos, I think has really helped people, um, particularly sort of in care home settings and um, specialist dementia groups within within the charity sector. I think it's been a really, really difficult time for them. In fact, we've seen a huge take up in, in use, um, visitor use at our Arboretum and Garden, which is our only venue that's remained open um, throughout this, this second lockdown. Um, and it's just been fantastic, the public response in, in all ages of people really valuing having somewhere where they can, can go, particularly at such a grim time of year. I'm not surprised, really. And and at the moment where exercising for some people and sort of getting out for a walk is one of few things they're allowed to do each day. Of course, we're all looking for sort of new and interesting spots to uncover, aren't we? We are. And in fact, there's increasing um, scientific and medical research that's being done. And there is genuine concern amongst healthcare um, and community care professionals about the impacts of COVID-19 and the long-term impacts of COVID-19 on the mental health and well-being of, of older people. I think the that the whole lockdown has been a really difficult experience for many older people. And I'm, I'm sure we've all got anecdotal uh, evidence ourselves. I know just from speaking to my my mum and my, my father, you know, how, how lonely they have felt, even though they're really lucky and they've got each other. Um, she's found it really hard not seeing her grandchildren and her sort of wider family and her, her friends. And I think that has had a it's been it's been a really tough time for for older people, and plus they have the additional threat of falling into our protected categories. So whereas a lot of us might be thinking now, great, you know, three families can come together at Christmas, you know, we still need to be really concerned about our older relatives and and friends coming into those groups and spaces because you know 
COVID-19 is still going to be here over the Christmas period and we still need to protect those those people. And I think that makes it really hard. Well, that's it, isn't it? And Boris Johnson is now warning people, he said, make a personal judgment about visiting elderly relatives over Christmas because, you know, if we all start creating bigger bubbles with, with elderly vulnerable people, are, are we putting them more at risk? Exactly. I think it's really difficult and there's a lot of personal responsibility on us all making those decisions. Uh, which I which I think for some people is a is an additional stress and at a time of anxiety and stress making decisions can can be quite hard um, and as your sort of your heart overall your your head so I think we've just got to sort of hold fire the end is nearly in sight although we've still got many months to go this time next year let's hope we're in a very different situation. Lucy Shaw there from Oxford Uni's Gardens, Libraries and Museums team. Hopefully you enjoyed some of the chats we had and you found some of it useful too. We'll be back with another episode soon. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Jack FM News. The Oxfordshire News Podcast with Jack FM's news team.